Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We're up to verse number 20, and we're going to finish out the chapter this morning. We finish out the chapter with a focus here on verse number 28. As Luke records Jesus saying, Look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draweth nigh. I just want to speak to you about this morning. In this passage, we will find Jesus offering a prophecy for proof, which is fulfilled in this his audience's immediate future. He will then give a principle for hope. Your redemption is near. He illustrates this through the parable of a fig tree. And then finally, most applicable to us is he gives this practical appeal for self-examination. Up against these things, consider your own self and, and where are you? Let's pray and then let's get to God's word. Father, we're thankful for time together with your church and your word this morning. We're so glad that we've been able to sing together and read your word together and pray together. Now, Lord, as we transition into this time of the reading and the preaching of your word, we ask that your will be done, not my will, not the will of a congregation, but that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to give ourselves to it, to focus solely on it as we believe in the sufficiency of the word of God. Come Holy Spirit, illuminate the word to us and guide us to all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read from verse 20. Jesus said, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst depart out and let not them that are in the countries enter thereunto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake unto them a parable, Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all the things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. We've been working through chapter 19, chapter 20, 
chapter number 21 here with this idea of Jesus is being pressured by the religious establishment of his day. He's upsetting their balance. He's upsetting what they've come to know as absolute truth. And he is saying to them, most of what you have is absolute truth, but you're, you're missing the fulfillment of those truths right here in your own midst. And as they hold up the temporal things to him as proof, he continually points out to them eternal things and says, these, these are the better things. We looked at the resurrection through his encounter with the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection but wanted to debate him over this. Then we looked at the, the offering time as this widow brings these two mites, such worthless pieces of copper that you couldn't give just one. You, you had to at least give two to make it worth those counting it and accounting for it to be able to put it in in their laws and their systems of that time. And Jesus says, proportionally, she gave more than all of you. Is this Jesus just saying, okay, Baptist pastors, this is a good way for you to get people to give larger offerings? No, this is Jesus saying, consider your own selves. Are you fully bought into the eternal mindset that the believer must have? Or are you just simply fine with these eternal things or these temporal things that you've said, well, look what we've done. And this is exactly what the religious crowd of that day said to Jesus. They said, but look at our temple. And Jesus went through that. We looked at it last time. And he says, yeah, that temple is going to get torn down. And here he goes even further and says, your city is going to be destroyed, besieged and destroyed. That's where we we'll begin this morning as Jesus gives them a prophecy for proof and all of this up against the idea 33 heaven and earth will pass away but his words will not 34 so take heed to yourselves don't be so consumed with the cares of life that you're not ready when the lord returns so he's told of the destruction of temple and now we get into this destruction of the town verse 20 when shall see jerusalem compassed with armies then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. They ask him in verse seven, Master, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he tells them, when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, this thing is coming to pass. And initially this doesn't sound very prophetic at all, does it? It's not like he's telling them something that we couldn't figure out with our own eyes. If you were to see armies surrounding Kingston Springs today, what would you think is happening? There are invaders. <laughs> you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to be able to do that one. All right, some of you with senses of humor. That's pretty good. Brain surgeon, rocket scientist, I combine the two. All right. If you've got to explain the joke, right? Verse 21, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart out and let not them that are in the countries enter there and true. Now there is where the, the prophecy comes in. In their day, it was a little different than our day. In fact, right now, if someone were to attack our area, would they start in Waverly or would they start in Nashville? Well, you'd attack Nashville. So our solution to that would be go visit Hickman County, right, Joey? We, we'd change our tune then. What do we, we'd say, let's get out in the country. Get out in the woods. Well, in their day and age, the cities were surrounded by these large walls. And if you lived out in the country, if you lived over by the river, you know, you've got your nice lake property and all of that, 
but then somebody was going to come and invade. You'd see them coming before everybody else. And you'd run to the cities to get inside the wall and get to where the soldiers were that you thought could fight for you and protect you. Jesus says here, do the opposite. Completely odd in their day. But he says, look, when you start hearing people coming to town saying there's an army coming, there's an army coming. He says, run to the mountains. Get out of this city because it's going to be destroyed. We talked last time about how the temple would be destroyed. And it was Titus. He was a Roman. He came in. They burned it. They tore the stones down. They robbed the gold from the Lord's temple. Here Jesus says it's going to be worse than that. This city is going to be so destroyed and laid to such waste. Verse 23, but woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon these people. This will be especially hard for Expectant mothers, he says, and those with new babies, as God's wrath is poured out on this city and its temple and judgment, and there are some who will not be able to escape. Now, verse 24, he says, They shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led away captive unto all nations. In AD 70, this became true. The historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, records for us that the Romans destroyed the city, they took the temple down. 1.1 million is kind of the death toll that they came up with in that time. A.D. 70. It's a while back from our point of view. We, when we think of a Holocaust, we think of the 1940s. But in A.D. 70, 1.1 million was what they came up with. 97,000, some record as many as 100,000, taken away as prisoners from this. Jesus says, they'll be, they will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, he doesn't predict this to be the end for Israel. He just predicts this as a time of judgment in Israel. And he even gives an end date for it. He says this will happen until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Well, when is the time of the Gentiles? In churches like ours, we would call that the church age. Jesus came. He died on the cross for the forgiveness and the remission of sins. He is our atonement. He is the propitiation. He didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the grave and was seen alive by those who could testify that he conquered death. Because of that, we would say we have redemption now. We've been bought back by God at the price of his own self to himself. His wrath has been satisfied and our sins have been forgiven. From there, the church or or those early followers were told, go and wait The Holy Spirit then came down as they sat and waited. And we would say the church was birthed on the planet here. Now, some would say, oh, there's always been a church. I get that. That's fine. But we saw it manifest, at least, as this feast of Pentecost was happening. And boy, they had a Pentecost feast like they'd never had before. As the Holy Spirit comes down and it was like fire on top of these people's heads. People spoke in tongues that they they could, everybody could understand from the four corners of the earth. Everybody could understand in their own tongue, which was a pretty amazing miracle. 3,000 people get saved. They don't want to go home. They want to share meals together. They want to be around each other all the time. That's miraculous. We struggle with that in our day and age. You don't want to be around each other much more than about an hour and 15 minutes. I started working with you guys in 2011. Back then it was 53 and a half minutes. I've gotten you up to an hour and 15. Pretty good. It's, it's progress. By the time I die, maybe we'll be a family. 
the church was born and we live in what we call the church age. The early church dealt with this thing of, what do you mean Gentiles are a part of this? We're Jews, we're God's people. Cornelius was a Gentile. The apostle Peter was sent to his house. Peter was a staunch Jewish Christian, but he was Jewish in his lineage and his culture. He said, I can't go to that man's house. And God revealed to him that he could go to that man's house. And he did it through pork. Jews were not to touch pork because it was unclean. Makes you glad to be a Gentile, right? And God says, eat. And he says, I can't eat. It's unclean. He says, don't call unclean that which I've made clean. All of this to say we're in the time of the Gentiles. So when is Jesus saying here that this judgment on Jerusalem would be lifted? Well, it'll be lifted at the end of the church age. It will be lifted at the time of when the time of the Gentiles has stopped. Now, when when is this going to happen? Well, we don't know exactly when this is going to happen, but the church has been given a commission. The church has a job. The church's job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to be making disciples from every nation upon the face of the earth. When that task is complete, who gets to decide when it's complete? Lifeway research? (laughs) No, God gets to decide when it is complete. And when God said it is complete, the time of the Gentile will be over and it will once again become the time of the Jew. Now, if you want to get much deeper than that into this sort of a thing, you need somebody besides me. I'm not much of a prophecy guy. But here we find Jesus giving a prophecy that was fulfilled in our past. What does that teach us about Jesus as a prophet? He was a true prophet. He said something future was going to happen. Something future did happen, jot and tittle, down to every detail, so we can say that he's a true prophet. So can we trust his other words? Absolutely, we can. I'll give you some proof text here on the time of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11. You can look there if you want. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And then he writes on there from verse 25 down to verse number 32, filling out some more information about that. But we just come that to know when the Great Commission is fulfilled, God will once again deal with Israel. So Jesus gives a prophecy for proof. Now, in your Bibles here in Luke chapter 21, a unique thing happens from verse 24 to verse 25. In fact, your Bible is likely laid out with something called a pericope. It's a a gathering of thoughts into sort of a paragraph form. These all are on this theme. These are all on this theme. Some Bibles will have a bold text by the number letter here, or the number letter, by the number marker some Bibles will have heading, headings over the top of different pericopes throughout your Bible. There, mind that I'm using here, just verse 25 is bold. It lets me know we're entering into a, a different kind of a thought. From verse 25 on, Jesus goes from giving this prophecy for proof to giving a principle of hope. But the main thing I want you to understand here is that the timeline skips well ahead. So we go from verses 20 to 24, which are talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which we've lived to see fulfilled, to verse 25 then, which goes on to talk about the return of Christ. 
Now, to our best knowledge, has Christ returned? No, I mean, unless we're just that fooled, right? I mean, we'd, we'd really be fooled. But from what we can read in Scripture and what we can observe from human history, Christ has not returned. So he skips ahead in the timeline there. If you don't understand that to be the case in this reading, you can really misunderstand what he was saying from verse 20 down to verse number 28. So I just I want to point out to you there that he talks about one event and then he talks about a totally separate event, kind of either all in one setting or verse 37 and verse 38 tell us this is the Olivet Discourse as he's going daily back and forth from the Mount of Olives to the temple and he's teaching people along the way. These are the lessons that he's teaching. It's very possible that he teaches this at a totally different day or in a totally different setting. We would understand him to have taught the widow's might at a different time, at a different day, right? So these are lessons that he's teaching along the way. But lots of poor eschatology, that means the doctrine of last things, lots of poor eschatology has come, in, has come out of trying to combine verse 20 to verse 28 all as one big thought or one big teaching. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. All right, so he gives a prophecy for proof, and we affirmed he is a true prophet. And now he gives a principle of hope. Verse 25, verse 26 He says there will be signs. So things seem to be getting worse and worse. But the hope is that the church has hope because their redemption is near. Just because things are getting worse doesn't mean that things are worse for the church. In fact, as things got worse in Egypt, that actually meant they were getting better for the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. They got out. They were released. They were freed. They were able to march their way toward their promised land. Now, we would say in that regard up against our text here this morning that they very quickly became concerned with the cares of life such that they were not ready to enter this promised land. And so for 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness. Given the average length of life that you and I live, I don't think many of us as adults can waste 40 years. We just... We don't have the time. So we can't be drunk on the cares of life and not focused on the eternal picture here. So we have to take this into hand. We have hope. Redemption is near. The, the, the idea that redemption was near was the hope of Israel all throughout the Old Covenant texts. What were they waiting for? A Messiah to be born. And we saw that fulfilled for them. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now the hope of the church is just the same. We await his second coming and we have hope. Our redemption is near as well. Verse 25 and 26, there will be signs. There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, fear and, the, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now we look for the Savior, we're not looking for signs, but we can't neglect the shadow of things that come to pass. These signs reveal that God is about to act in the history of mankind. They don't provide a timetable. They don't begin for us a running clock. But they they give us an idea. It's neat how Luke separates here the the terrestrial from the heavenly. He he starts talking about things that are going to be happening on the, the earth. 
And then he stops in verse 24 and he begins to talk about things that are cosmic. There will be signs in the sun. There will be signs in the moon. There will be signs in the stars. The sun and the moon will be darkened. Stars will begin to fall. Do you think that would grab your attention? But the biblical teaching is, if you don't really start paying attention to that time, you're going to kind of be like those in Jerusalem who said, look at our great temple. And some said, there's an army coming. We're running from the hills. And they said, but we have a wall. We have a great city. And we have this beautiful temple. We've got to stay. We've got to protect it. Or whatever their thinking was. And it got down to the fact that it was very dangerous to be there. And a million killed and 100,000 taken prisoner. You can't wait until that time to get ready. Let me give you a, another gospel account here. Hold your spot. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them synoptic gospels. They, these accounts are very similar in a lot of things. Luke would be the oddball in the mix, typically. If there's any information that's in one and not the others, it's usually from Luke. And he does come from a kind of a different background, and that would be our reasoning for that. But here's Matthew's account of the text we're studying here. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So you see here, this is Matthew's recording of what Jesus said as well. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, and from one end of heaven to the other. And then he goes on to give the parable of the fig tree. So here we, we see Matthew recording what we also see Luke writing about. You can go back to the text in Luke, but it it just brings a, a thought here to us that this will be magnificent. It'll be horrendous. But for the church, this is our hope. For the church, this will not be the end. For the church, this will not be to destruction. In fact, he says here, there will be a shout. There will be a trumpet. The sun will come in the clouds. The angels will be there. So it'll be a wonderful time in that regard, though horrendous in many other areas. The nations of the earth, they'll be in distress. Imagine what CNN will say when the sun and the moon go dark and stars begin to fall. I guess when that starts happening, they won't be able to broadcast anymore, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Told you there was hope. Verse 27 and 28 then say to the believer, this is just to let you know your redemption is nearer than it has ever been before. Then you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I don't know how you imagine that, but you're pretty powerful to be able to harness the power of a cloud to carry you around or to... Maybe he's just floating. I don't know, but he's got a cloud. He's coming on a cloud. He's coming with a cloud. It's pretty amazing. And he comes in great glory. So it's not like he sneaks in. It's not like the world looks around and says, wait, what just happened? 
It's pretty obvious this is what's happening. He comes in power. He comes with great glory. It's not like anyone at that point should even think like I I can stand against this. No, it's with power and it's with great glory. Your redemption is near. Verse 28, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Now we offset that against the typical human composure when things are going poorly, when things are going bad. Boy, we drop our heads. We're worried. We're concerned. We're upset. But Jesus says here, when they ask, when will the signs of these things be? He says, well, when you see the sun and the moon go dark, when you see the stars begin to fall, the sea and the waves begin to roar, get ready because you're going to hear a trumpet sound. You're going to hear the shout. You're going to see Jesus coming on the clouds. Your redemption is near. Redemption means deliverance on payment of a price. Mm. You understand that in American consumerism. Amazon.com has us. We're hooked here. Isn't that the favorite part of your day? The Amazon box shows up at the front porch. It's gotten so bad with us, we're just like, what did we order? (laughs) Maybe the Alexa ordered it for us. We don't know. I remember when that was the first thing. It was like, you mean I can click right here? And all my info is already saved. I just click buy now. And within two days, it shows up at the porch. That's pretty neat. Let's buy something to see if it can happen, right? The, 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 the thrill of that comes because we've already paid the price. We're already expecting what it is that we wanted to be delivered. And so we're receiving deliver, the delivering of the payment on the price. Well, on the cross, Jesus paid the price. And he has promised to come back. But he's told us while I'm going away, the earnest is the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the, 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 the Holy Spirit as the, the holdover, the payment until then. But there will be a then. We get so temporally minded, we forget about this. We forget about the power of this and the glory of this and the beauty of this and how limited this life is and how unimportant most of these things really are. How many years? That many. Three score and ten is about what we're down to in humankind that the Bible says that we're promised. Some of you are getting well past that. Congratulations. But still, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's minor. Your redemption is near. Jesus is coming to take possession of that which he has purchased. There's a nice detail given here in verse 27 because it does talk about him coming in a cloud. Now, this goes back to this idea of he says things that are true and he holds true the things that he said. Daniel chapter number 7, it's in verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read it to you if you want to look there. But Daniel lived hundreds of years before Jesus. I, don't, I, don't want to, I wanted to give you an exact number, but it's debatable and different interpretations of different things in Daniel, but just know hundreds of years. Like, just to put that in perspective, where were we as a society a hundred years ago? 1923. If you did drive a car to church that morning, what would you have driven? Was it still the Model T's at that point? All right. Air conditioning? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it had air conditioning. You probably didn't have a roof, Right. It was like, am I wrong on the Model T? It was like a, a riding lawnmower of today's world. Is that wrong or is that right? Faster than that? Depends on the lawnmower. 
Did it have a, did it have a phone in it? Yeah, it depends on the lawnmower. It had no phone in it. It had no stereo in it. What did people do? How did you text going down the road in your Model T? A hundred years ago, things were a lot different. If somebody in 1923 would have said, well, what did they say about us in 1923? I believe by, by 2023, they'll be in flying cars. <laughs> no, we're too busy virtue signaling. Oh, come on. That you should have hurrahed there. Yeah, thank you, Ben. So hundreds of years before Christ came to the earth and said, when these things happen, then you'll see the sun coming in the clouds. Daniel said, I saw in the night vision, seven, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Now, who is the ancient of days? God, he's eternal. He always has been the son of man. Now, Daniel said, I saw one like the son of man. Pretty common theme in Daniel. You know, the Hebrew children in the fire. And they said, we see a fourth one walking around in there. Well, who is it? Well, he's like the son of man. That was Jesus, in my opinion. You, you good there? Who else would it be? It's Jesus. So he says the same thing here. How's he coming? He comes in the clouds of heaven. Where does he go? He goes to the ancient of days. They bring him before him. And there was given him what? Dominion. And glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Hmm. Shanae and I came to the sad realization last night. We were making some plans and we were like, well, we have to consider Jack's schedule now. Doggone you, Jack. He has a job. We were like, oh yeah, he works for other people now. He kind of has to do what they say, biblically, right? And we said, oh, we kind of, you know how you do as parents. You kind of tear up. Like, They're not babies anymore. I was talking to Miss Kay the other day. We were, you got me crying on the phone, Miss Kay. You said, I remember when y'all first came here, little Jack was five years old in kindergarten. <laughs> Just to make the point to you that some things change. Things that we don't want to change. Change. They, they don't stay like we'd like them to be. Well, Daniel says here in his vision what he saw hundreds of years before Jesus ever was even born and then said some similar things. He said, I saw him. He came in a cloud. He was brought before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days, God Almighty, the sovereign God, Brother Preston told us about this morning, gave him dominion. What is dominion? He gave him rule. He's in charge. He's the king. He gave him glory. He gave him a kingdom. Who is in his kingdom? All the people, all the nations, all the languages. What will they do? They'll serve him. They'll do what he wants them to do. And this dominion is everlasting. Do you long for that day? I, I, I get tired sometimes in this life. And I, I get like John over in the Revelation and saying, you, you show me all these things, Lord. This is great. Come quickly now. I want you to deliver on this promise. I want my redemption to be nigh. I'm ready for that which is everlasting. I'm ready for that which will not pass away. That which will not mold or rust or crack or crumble.
in Acts chapter number one at the ascension of Christ. So he lived his life. He said these things. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen of men about 40 days. And then he goes up. They're at the foot of the mount. And he goes up in a cloud. Acts chapter 1 verse 9, 10, 11 record that for us. So Jesus said here he'll come in a cloud. Daniel said, I saw him in the cloud. Then they watched this early church says him. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So Daniel was given a vision to foretell this. Jesus told it himself. These angels affirmed it to the early church. We've already proven that one of his prophecies came true. Do we not have hope that we should expect to see our Lord coming in the cloud? Praise the Lord. Our redemption is near. Look up, church. We have hope. It's a hope beyond the grave. It's a hope beyond this world. It's a hope beyond this life. Now from there, Jesus gives a parable. Verse 29 He spake unto them a parable, behold the fig tree. And I like this little sentence here. And all the trees. (laughs) The fig tree gets a lot of attention in the scriptures, but here he just says, well, consider the fig tree. In fact, just consider any of the trees because they make my point. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh hand. We understand the parable. So likewise you, when you see these things come to pass, Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That's a large statement, isn't it? The very earth upon which your feet are planted today, Jesus says, this will pass away, but his words will not. Now a parable, if you're not familiar, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus often would get his audience thinking about his teachings by telling them a relevant story. Well, here he tells this story about these trees for telling the coming season. When you see them begin to bloom out, you know that winter is ending and the next season, spring, summer is on the way. Just as a fig tree gives certain signs. This is a quote from Robert Stein, commentator, New American Commentary. He says, just as fig tree gives certain signs that reveal summer is near, so there will be certain signs that will reveal that the redemption brought by the Son of Man is also near. Now, the first major heading we have in this portion is this idea of seeking signs. When you see these things take place. Now, I think as a, as a culture, we take this a little bit further than we should. In this context, Jesus' point here isn't to live your whole life being a sign seeker. He's saying to them, don't live your life like that. Live your life fully for Christ, knowing that your redemption is near, and don't be drunk on the cares of life. But he says, when you do see these things, be aware. Know that these things are coming. Know that when you see these things, it means something. Just as we know enough to be able to tell that when the trees are blooming, the season is changing. But often as the church, we like to take this text and in the tree analogy there, sort of become a horticulturalist. I mean, I could look outside and say, oh, it looks like those trees are blooming. Must be warming up. 
Some of you would say, oh, well, that's a, a whatever, whatever. I don't even know. I can't even try to think of a species or something to say there, and I couldn't come up with one. And it always blooms early, but this one over here, it blooms late. And you know lots more things about it. And then somebody else can go further than you and that information. And we sort of get like that with Bible prophecies. And I'm not saying that's wrong or that we should never do that. But I just want to make the point to you here this morning. For the average Christian in America, the thing that you should know is when you see these things start to happen, what things? The signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. On earth, the distress of nations. The raging of the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. We can be just as observant when we see these signs that our redemption is near. The second major heading we find in this parable, the first being that of sign seeking, the second is that of this generation. That is a unique verse. Verse 32, Very I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now, in the context there, who was this generation? It was those who were alive when Jesus said this. Well, he's, he's talked about the destruction of the temple. He's talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. Surely some of those lived to see that happen. Should we interpret this to mean then, well, then he's already returned because this generation has passed away as far as we know in our history. What do we, what do, we do with this? I think in Luke's eyes and the other followers of Christ, they would have heard that as their generation. But I think you and I would understand this to be, well, no, it hasn't happened. He hasn't returned. So we've got to understand something else. From where we currently sit in history, I think it's best to understand this as humanity. He's already said we're in what time? We're in the time of the Gentiles. The, the, the city's going to be destroyed. The time of the Jew would be over. It would be in the time of the Gentiles. I think that's the best interpretation. Until this time. Humanity will not pass away until this has all taken place. And that's relevant. We live in an age with nuclear war capabilities. There could be this fear in the back of your mind at times of this total annihilation. Well, we take comfort in Jesus' words. Heaven and earth would pass away before his words would pass away. Humanity will not pass away until his return. But with this information, it can become very tempting to be looking for signs. I like Vance Havner. I don't know if that's a familiar preacher to you, but he was an old preacher man, and he always said, I'm not looking for signs. I'm listening for a sound, the sound of the trumpet, the shout of the archangel. Even so come Lord Jesus. This is our hope. Redemption is near. Now this leads us to a practical appeal for self-examination. Verse 34. Are you ready? Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, the cares of this life, so that that day comes upon you unawares. Watch yourselves, he says. Take heed that the coming of Christ doesn't catch you unprepared. I don't personally hold to the theological point of view that he could have come just like that. 
lot of us were indoctrinated that way, and that's your view, but that's fine. But, but if you believe that, then I'll just start a timer on you, right? 10, 9, 8, 7. Oh, we, did, we get to zero. And, well, see, it didn't happen just like that. I think the time of the Gentiles has to be fulfilled, and it's obviously not. I don't know when that's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but my point is I don't want to preach this to you this morning and say, you better not walk out that back door lost because Jesus could come just like that. You'd go to hell. God doesn't operate that way with humans. He provides opportunity to be redeemed. Now, I would preach this text to you this way. He let you show up to a church this morning and sit in a nice comfy chair in air conditioning and hear the word of God exposited to you that says, don't be so caught up with the cares of this life that when the Lord returns, you're not ready. Be saved. He came, he lived sinless life, he died on a cross, shed his blood for the remission of your sins. Death didn't conquer him though, he's alive. And because he's alive, you can be redeemed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, you are saved. Repent. What do you mean by repent, preacher? You want me to come up front and tell all my sins? No, we do not. There's some churches near here that will let you do that. That's not us. What we mean by repent is you came in here living one way. We want you to leave here living a different way. You came in here living as you're in control of your life. We would encourage you to do like us and say, he's in control of my life. That is salvation. So watch yourselves. But what about those of us who are saved? Are we good? We're done. We don't, we don't have to worry about this one. Oh, I don't have to worry about that. That sermon on the second coming of Christ. Well, well I don't know. What are you going to have in your hands when you come to him, when you meet him? You get this way at the holidays. The family is coming. We've got to have gifts. We have something that we want to give them. Why? We don't want to be empty handed. If they give us something, we want to give something in return. And we want to give them something good. Are you empty-handed before Jesus? Paul taught that for most of us, we'll come before him with these unrighteous works that'll just burn up, wood, hay, stubble. But if we'll focus on the eternal things, we'll go before him with gold and silver and precious stones. Will you be able to crown him with many crowns? Or will you be empty-handed before our Glorious and powerful Lord when he returns. Take heed. Examine yourselves. Be ready. Don't let his coming catch you unprepared. My sister likes to surprise. That's one of her favorite things to do. She'll be planning a visit. She'll say, all right, I'm going to come up and spend next weekend with y'all. And then show up at my door five minutes later. (laughs) All right, well, you got to sleep in the yard. Sorry about that. We are not prepared for you. Is that what it's like at your house? Not in regards to your sister, but Jesus. If he came back today, like, are, are you ready? 
most of us, to an extent, all of us, we're drunk on the cares of life. I know because it's 1136 and you're ready to go. Why? What else do we have to do today that's so important? We're gathered with the church. We're gathered to worship our God. What's better than this today that we could be doing? Now you could argue the point and say, well, we could be doing this better. Oh, for sure. We could do everything better. But our hurry to leave this is a symptom of not that. Our hurry to leave this is a symptom of we are drunk on the cares of life. We have a clock and we have a calendar and we have obligations and we have things that we've decided to do and we are not living this life as God had intended us to live it. Verse 35, he gives an illustration there. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. I'm not the best to illustrate that for you. All I can think about is the little rascals. Remember that episode? That's a good one. They make the little snare and they're going to catch themselves something to eat. They end up not eating whatever they were trying to snare. There's probably a a more practical way to go at this, but we get the idea. Snare is intended to catch an unexpected animal. It's kind of like a thief who arrives at your house when you're at church or who comes in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. You weren't expecting this thief. Well, the coming of the Lord will come that way on all who dwell on the earth. Verse 36, well, what are we to do? Watch, pray, pray always. Stay awake, stay alert. This is how you are able to maintain this hope that your redemption is near. So that on that day you may hear, well done. There's there's two things that we will hear on that day. Well done. Or I never knew you. It's a good way to answer, are you ready? R.C. Sproul offers us some comfort here as he ends his commentary on this passage. He says, although believers are not promised immunity from the woes of life in this fallen world and are assured that they will be persecuted for their faith, Jesus' blood and righteousness will shield them from God's wrath, which will come on the wicked at the end of history. This is right according to scripture. John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy three twelve. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So yes, in this world, we're going to live godly for Christ Jesus. We'll suffer persecution. Jesus said we would have tribulation. But in spite of those things, we can be of good cheer because he's already overcome this world. So we await for his return. He who has delivered us from the wrath to come. And then 37 and 38, we've already covered. And that closes out the chapter. Just Luke showing us that this is what Jesus was teaching as he traveled back and forth from the Mount of Olives. I would close today just by reminding you the church has hope. It can seem hopeless for the church at times from the human perspective. I get that. I hope as the church, you, you don't see it that way. But you see that the church has hope. 
You can look at statistics and say, oh, the church is hopeless. You can look at historical trends and say, oh, it's hopeless for the church. Well, it might be hopeless for the ways of the church. It might be hopeless for the things that the church likes. It might be hopeless for the establishment of institutionalized religion. But it is not hopeless for the church. The church has hope because our redemption is near. What do I do? You pray. You be aware. You don't allow yourself to be overcome with the cares of this life. His coming will be sudden. sudden. His coming will be glorious. His coming will be with great power. But are you ready? J.C. Ryle said, however terrible the signs of Christ's second coming may be to the impenitent, they need not strike terror into the heart of the true believer. They ought rather to fill him with joy. They ought to remind him that his complete deliverance from sin, the world, and the devil is close at hand, and that he shall soon bid an eternal farewell to sickness, sorrow, death, and temptation. Mm. Don't you look forward to that? Goodbye sickness, goodbye sorrow, goodbye death, goodbye temptation. I'm going to live never sinning again. Praise the Lord. Ryle continues, the very day when the unconverted man shall lose everything shall be the day when the believer shall enter on his eternal reward. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite scholars more than preachers and not to slant his preaching at all, just was never exposed much to his preaching. But in the modern era is what I'm saying there. He pastored 10th Avenue. Avenue Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and passed away in 2002, 1998, somewhere in those late 90s, early 2000s. His his commentary on the scriptures has discipled me wonderfully. But we would conclude that because of cancer, he, we would say from the human perspective, he went to heaven way earlier than we think he should have. He would argue that point with us, I'm sure. But one of the things they found on his desk after he passed away, of all the things he was working on at the time, was a hymn about the second coming of Christ. Here's what he penned. He says, we do not know if Christ will come when life is rough or steady. We only know that Jesus said, keep watching and be ready. Keep watching, for Christ will appear at night or some bright morning, like lightning flashing through the sky without a moment's warning. Be ready when the Lord descends to render final judgment when men shall rise to heaven's joy or suffer dreadful torment. So watch with care and grace abound. Get ready soon to greet him that when you hear the trumpet sound, you'll be prepared to meet him. Let's stand and pray. I wonder, are you ready this morning? Would you take time and examine yourselves? Let's pray together.